0: Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson, and this is episode 82 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast, with a new episode released every single day. You get a big-name extended interview like this one every Monday and short four- or five-minute daily episodes Tuesday through Sunday on a show that I call This Day Rocks. Thank you, as always, for hitting play. Now, on today's show, I've got an interview with a man ready to embark on a huge 50th anniversary tour with his band – a band he was a founding member of, and one that's a quintessential American rock group whose songs have certainly stood the test of time. I'm talking about the band Kansas and their guitarist, Rich Williams. It's a fun chat talking about some of the highlights from the band's career, the beginnings, the hits, the highs and more. I'm looking forward to you hearing it. But a very quick recap on vintage rock pod happenings this week. Uh, Full album February is still in full swing, of course. I've had a tremendous response so far. Huge thanks to all the people engaging across all the social media platforms on this one. Now, if you're new to it, then basically every day this month, I'm listening to an album in full that's been nominated ...by a vintage rock pod listener. Now, the idea was to try and uncover some lost or forgotten records... ...and get the VRP community listening along too. So far, we've unearthed a brilliant record from Big Country... ...that's led to me interviewing the guitarist, Bruce Watson putting your questions to him about the release, which actually celebrates its 30th anniversary next month. Nice coincidence there. So that interview is on its way. Also, Canadian band The Kings was in touch on Facebook after their album The Kings Are Here was included as well, which is uh, very cool indeed. A quick shout-out to David Thomas, Russell Schultz, Adam Hamilton, Rob McBeethan, uh, Joey Michaud, Glenn Gillis, Dave Lepzinski, Tenacity PR, My Rock and Roll Heaven on Twitter, Bruce McKenzie, Marv from pods like us and Alistair Tams for the fantastic comments throughout the week. Get involved every day on social media, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I post that day's record so you can give it a listen and leave your comments. Also, check out the Vintage Rock Pod YouTube channel. It's been getting a lot of traction these last few months. A recent video with Rod Argent from uh, episode 81, it took off. Over 60,000 views on that one, which is pretty crazy. And there's a fun little part as well. If you subscribe to the Vintage Rock Pod channel, it's absolutely free. Don't worry, just press the red button. Uh, On there, on YouTube, every single day, I post a fun poll. It could be, I don't know, which of these four albums do you like the best? A mix of guitarists, maybe vocalists, big singles from a certain year, that sort of thing. Loads of people get stuck in with that every single day. Six, seven, eight, nine hundred votes are coming in, and loads of comments as well, which sparks great classic rock debates, so please check that out as well. And one last little thing, please leave a quick review on your podcast app. Pantheon Podcast Network, which Vintage Rock Pod is a proud part of, has a new inter-networking kind of thing where we see the reviews that come into our group chat so whenever a podcast receives one we all get a notification now, Vintage Pod hasn't had a review since this started a couple of weeks ago so let's change that please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use it really does make a big difference only 5 star reviews though that's the main Okay, (laughs) right on to today's show then. Uh, It's another great one. Kansas are a legendary group, of course. Nine gold albums, one platinum album, three multi-platinum albums and a platinum live album too. They've had a million selling single and have appeared on the US Billboard charts for over 200 weeks. They're a name everyone in classic rock knows thanks to albums like Left Overture and Point of No Return and big hits like Dust in the Wind and Carry On, Wayward Son. Now, my guest today is Rich Williams. He's a founding member of the group and ever present since the start of the 70s. This summer, the band will embark on a 50th anniversary tour that takes in pretty much the whole of America with lots of songs on the playlist that will not have been played live in a long time. So it's definitely worth catching the band while you still can. Just check out kansasband.com for more information on all that kind of thing. So let's go then. Here's my fun chat with Kansas guitarist Rich Williams. So it's the 50th anniversary tour, another fork in the road. So many dates right across the U.S., from Pittsburgh in June through to Fort Lauderdale in January next year. Now, it's one heck of a tour, isn't it?
1: Well, it is. That's the first 50. When we did the Left Overture 40th anniversary tour, and then when we did the Point of No, Point of no Return anniversary tour, it was supposed to be 15 to 20 shows for Left Overture, and we did 90. Wow. Uh, and then Point in No Return was supposed to be around 80, and I think we did 110. And there's a lot more excitement about this tour than there was about either one of those. And so it wouldn't surprise me if there was another 50 after this but we're going to start with this 50 and see where it goes absolutely and you're going to
0: be playing all the crowd favorites of course i mean all the big hits from the past 50 years but also you're going to be playing some deep cuts that haven't been played live for decades i mean was it fun going back through the catalogue to try and work out which of these songs to to play live yeah it,
1: there was a few that was uh, i'd been lobbying for for a while and with this project it seemed like the perfect time. It's, it's uh, you know just a couple of songs that fans have been wanting to hear, you know, hardcore fans that were there from the first and second album. And so they're going to be quite pleased that we're doing these songs. Again, haven't done them for 45 years.
0: And can you give us a sneak peek on which these hidden gems you're going to be playing?
1: No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> uh, we've, we've been, uh, been sworn to secrecy. Uh, um, Billy Guerrero, bass player, he, uh, on one of his interviews leaked a few things and we boiled him in oil. Um, so we're, 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 looking for a base player. No, uh, we, we, we just, when we do the first show in Pittsburgh, the set list will be out then, but we would rather wait until then. And then people say, Oh, they're not playing this or yay. They're playing that. But we're used to that
0: absolutely absolutely and that's what makes it so important that you get tickets for this tour it's the 50th anniversary tour some songs that you will not have heard live for a long time so that is a key reason to get along and support the band while they're still on the road and tickets are available you can check them out at kansasband.com you get all the dates and details and everything on the website there can't they
1: oh uh, absolutely yeah kansasband.com that's when i have a question that's where i go <laughs> if i don't want to <laughs> pester somebody it's uh, that's that's a good spot to find all the accurate information
0: Now, as well as the tour, there was, just before Christmas, a new career-spanning compilation that was brought out as well, Another Fork in the Road, 50 Years of Kansas. It was a three-CD set. There was a booklet with history of the band and photos and memories and all that sort of stuff, and a a new version of Can I Tell You as well. That was from the band's first album back in 1974. Now, um, that was the first song on the album, so did it kind of just feel right to record that one again with the new lineup?
1: Yeah, it did. It was uh, when a compilation type of thing comes out, it's nice to add a bonus track. And so in thinking about that, Can I Tell You was the, the song that got us a record deal. Without that song, no, nothing would have followed. And so in a lot of ways, it's the most important song we ever did because it got our toe in the door. And so to bookend this album with a re-record of that, uh, it just seemed logical and right. And plus it was at the uh, still during uh, COVID. So it gave us something to do. And I recorded <laughs> right here in this room, all my parts. Uh, we did it remotely. And we'd never done that before. And we were curious to see how it would work out. It was a lot of fun to be involved with the project. And it kept us all in constant communication. So it was a fun project.
0: Absolutely, and it's a record that you can get your hands on now. And and just speaking of that song, and and telling you how it became the the song that kind of got you that record contract. And originally, now take me back to that early point. The the Wally Gold phoning you to say that. He's coming out to see you play. He loved the demos. He loved that song. He loved the songs that you'd sent him. But he wants to see you live. He wants to see if you're a proper band, see if you've got it all together. Now, this is what leads us on to the famous Free Beer Concert. Uh, yes. I love this story. Can you tell us a bit <laughs> Tell us a bit more about that?
2: Yeah, well... Um... Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds.
1: We were a band called White Clover, and that was the uh, basically the original Kansas minus Carrie Livman. And we had made that demo tape, and uh, Kirshner liked one song on it. And so we had some interest. Uh, and the the band Carrie was in, it was dissolving. And Carrie was such a fantastic songwriter, and we thought, God, if we get a record deal, we need more songwriting. And so Carrie joined us. And we were playing around some, and then uh, we were in Dodge City, Kansas, of all places. And taking a break, and the bartender says, um, you guys got a call from New York, okay? And so I think Dave Hope answered the phone, because Dave Hope was kind of uh, our money guy. He would collect the 100 bucks from the bar owner at the end of the night. And so he answered the phone. It was, hi, this is Wally Gold with Don Kirstner, and really love your tape. And we'd like to come out in a few weeks and see you guys. So if you could set up an audition, okay. We didn't like doing cover material. We weren't a very popular bar band because we were doing a lot of our original material. And so nobody was really following us that all that well. So what are we going to do? He's going to come in a couple of weeks. We've got to throw together a show somewhere. And there has to be people there. And there's a place in Ellenwood, Kansas, which is about in the center of the state. There's not much around there. But there was an old opera house that we would rent from time to time for, I think it was 135 bucks, something like that, and charge 25 $0.50 cents at the door, and people would come in. Well, let's do it there, but who's going to come? And so all of a sudden, it was, what if we had free beer? <laughs> and so we bought some kegs of beer and had that set up, and as it turned out, the place was completely stuffed. And it's not like this was full of fans. Most of these people never heard of us before, but they were drunk and happy to be there. So when Wally Gold came, it's a sold out house. Everybody's jumping around and screaming. And he was very impressed, (laughs) told Don Kirshner, yeah, man, there's something really going on here. And so that's by free beer and lying is how we got our first record deal and only record deal at that time. There were no other offers. So that's how it really got started, was that free concert.
0: Fantastic stuff. Love hearing things like that. It's brilliant. Now, obviously, 50 years on, there's been there's been lineup changes, as there is with any band that's been together for so long, and people naturally drift apart, and we, we sadly lose people as well along the way. But I've heard you say that um, the friendships are still there, aren't they, with members past and present?
1: Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, yeah, and then, like, on this tour, uh, the door is open. If anybody wants to come back up on stage and join us for a song or two, anybody from our in the past band uh, they're more than welcome uh we'll reach out to all of them when we're in their area and stuff and you know please come up and join us it would be a lot of fun
0: even more reason to buy tickets for the shows absolutely uh, in terms of the friendship then i mean you guys in the early days it was almost us against the world kind of feeling long-haired guys from from kansas and that became world famous rock stars did you feel like you were up against it trying to break through to those kind of bigger cities and bigger markets
1: in in a, in a lot of ways, you know, yeah young guys that are filled you know young and dumb and filled with testosterone uh, and come in the midwest, we had a bit of a chip on our shoulder. We knew we were a good band uh, as far as performing goes, so we had a bit of a, a cocky attitude about always wanting to to blow the band off the stage, whoever we we're opening for or whatever That mellowed with age um, not the. We always cared about the performance, but we kind of dropped the cocky attitude that just comes with young men. Yes, of course. Yeah, we we've, we have mellow.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. And in terms of um, playing live and um, and opening and and playing with, with big acts and trying to blow them away, I mean, one famous band that you did tour with uh, was Queen. I mean, they were just breaking through in America at that point with sheer heart attack. I mean, they spoke very kindly of you and seeing you play and and even warm up, saying how fantastic you were. I mean, what do you remember of that tour and what do you remember of Queen and things like that?
1: It was, but uh, well, before that, we we toured with Martha Hoople. and. That was very eye-opening to see. We, we, we're coming from the bar, so kind of tuning and arguing on stage about what we're going to play next. And that was, that was a circus. That was showtime. Very entertaining was Mott the Hoople and uh, great guys, you know, just to hang around with. But the reason we got on that show was because Queen was supposed to open, but someone got sick. So we were thrown on that tour in the last minute. There was no notification. Yeah, It was just word of mouth. There wasn't any mass media back then. So for the first week or more, everyone was expecting to see Queen, who was just starting to break out. And, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Kansas. And there'd just be a gasp in the crowd. And we'd walk out there, and it's not Queen, and it's us. And on my deathbed, I will hear people scream, Queen! Queen! <laughs> <laughs> it was... But that taught us a lot. You know, you've got to be very professional. Get on stage, boom, hit them and hit them hard. Not a lot of time between songs. Don't give them a chance to scream at you, and just mow over them. Yeah, until so we would we would win over the crowd just by sheer volume and being relentless. And so we learned about that, and that was a great time. Then comes the Queen tour. Uh, and coming from the Midwest, it's like, well, we're going to be going up with this Queen band, and here's you know here's the album cover. And sure, like heart that was you know from a Midwestern guy was, are we going to get along with these guys? And they were so great. It was such a good band. They were so much fun. They hadn't really seen any fame and fortune whatsoever at that time. So we it, we were very much peers in in that time. My mother it was from Taunton in Somerset. Uh, my sister was born in, in England, so I, I, I always had a, a connection. You know, I spent my uh, a summer there before uh, kindergarten, actually. And I had relatives there, and so to be around these guys was uh, it was a mismatch. You would think, but it wasn't. We we got along so fantastic, and. The, we kept in touch. Uh, actually, Roger Taylor sang on one of our records, uh, background singer. He couldn't be listed due to contractual obligations with def- different record companies. That was a lot bigger deal back then. But uh, we were that close. Uh, we would come to a line and we'd go see them. Uh, it, was, it was fun times, wonderful guys, uh, and what a career. I mean, they, they became, at that time, the, the biggest band in the world incredible
0: and it was um obviously you had some some albums that came out and they did well they got in the top 100 but it was really the fourth album wasn't it Leftover overture which sent the band into well the, the stratosphere it contained the the anthems the only way to say it carry on wayward son i mean my 10 year old son loves it he sings it he absolutely adores that song as well um but it was a song that kerry came up with right at the last minute wasn't it, it was um the album was pretty much already decided and it was a very late edition
1: it was it was uh the final day we, uh, we'd been We'd rent a little a space in Topeka, Kansas, and we were working on the album, working on material. And it was uh, basically time to pack up the truck and head to Bogalusa, uh, Louisiana, where we had recorded the previous album. And so we're going to just go through a few things. And Kerry comes in and goes, I've got another song, which was not all that welcome <laughs> at that point. <laughs> we'd been doing it for a few months, and we were tired of working on new material. And you know, he would have like a reel-to-reel or a work off a cassette. So we didn't have like polished demos at all. So he just kind of laid out, you know, here's the guitar riff. Oh, that's pretty cool. And, here, and here's the verses and here's the lyric sheet. And then we kind of mulled over it and thought, well, wow, this, this has got a lot of promise. But once we got to the studio, you go into this studio is just different. It's an assembly line where, you, you know, you spend a day or two or more getting drums tones, you're finding the right spot in the room, and the right microphones, and changing heads, and whack, 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 whack. And it's, it's not a lot of fun. So now while you've got it set up, you're going to get all the drum tracks and maybe, you know, get some ba- the bass tracks with it. And so we're going through methodically through each song and it's what we need to start working on that new song, and so we learned Wayward Son in the studio. Basically, it arranged it, and the version that is on record is, I would imagine, it's the, f- the first time we got it correct. You know, so like, okay, take ten, take twelve. You know, I think I think we've got one. Is how that worked, and then we build on it from there. So it was, um, yeah, like you said, it was the lasted. It- late addition to that project, which had that song not come along. I don't know if Don Kirshner would have sprung for another album. Uh, He, he was our benefactor and he'd been pouring a lot of money into us for three albums. And now the fourth album, you know, if that hadn't panned out, was he going to go into a fifth album, into a sixth album? Probably not. So that really, uh, but when we got everything basically recorded and we had rough mixes and we, we put everything in order how we thought it should be. And we just sat back and listened to it really for the first time, because we'd been busy, too busy recording it to sit back and listen to it. And that was the first time we realized, wow, this, this is something different. This album is really good. This is solid. This could be a game changer. And then with Waver's son, with the acapella, intro that we had added to that um we we felt very confident that this was our best record to date we were at least delivering something that has a shot <laughs> of being on the radio
0: incredible a shot of being on the radio and it turned out to be an absolute rock anthem um you mentioned there that adding the acapella at the start of the song i mean whose idea was that because it was a fantastic wonderful harmony of the voices wasn't it before the the, the drums and the guitars kicked in
2: i'm
1: not really sure who. Originally, it was just—it just seemed okay. This is a great chorus. What if it was just kind of one of those things? What if well, let's give it a try, and and it just and it worked out. We had examples of that from our previous days of playing in bar bands and stuff, and and from our different roots. And I always loved an a cappella type of entrance myself. One thing that comes to mind was. Uh, it's For You. Uh, it was a song by Three Dog Night that had the stack da-da-da, da-da-da, da da, 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 da. harmonies. And I, th- I always loved that intro. And so we had examples of that in our roots and uh, other bands we had previously played in. So why not? Let's, let's give that a shot. And right, it was right away. Yeah, that's it.
0: Tremendous, tremendous, indeed. Um, Speaking of hits, "Dust in the Wind" um, very different again to kind of the core Kansas sound. It was acoustic. I mean, what do you remember about hearing that for the first time?
1: Similar, it it is now pointed a return record, and we're in the same situation where we are in a rehearsal hall. By now, we had migrated to Atlanta, Georgia, and we're in a rehearsal hall there working on material. And Kerry comes in one day, and he just says, "I've got another song." It's probably not anything we would do. It's all acoustic. I just thought yeah, I'd bring it in. I'd, we'll just throw it on the pile of other stuff we're working on. Okay. And he had it uh, on his reel-to-reel. He roughly recorded an acoustic. And he had a lyric sheet. And it's, I, I will never forget it. just standing there. And Carrie and Steve are over here. Steve's kind of looking over his shoulder and reading the lyrics. And Carrie's mumbling the the melody. And... There's rudimentary acoustic recording is playing in the background. And he finishes, and Dave Hope says, where did that song come from? And Kerry was like, you guys like this? (laughs) He he had no idea. And it was like, "Carrie, that's our next single. On that very first listen, in that rudimentary form, we heard a great song that he had penned and had no doubt that that was going to be our single, and no doubt it was going to be a hit. And it was like, yeah, yes, this is the song that's going to continue the success of Love, Overture. it was uh, the only song that's ever come along that Upon first listen, I think was an absolute yes by everybody.
0: Interesting, interesting indeed. Now that you just said that, came from the album "Point of No Return." I mean, the artwork for that album is is very iconic as well. You see it everywhere. I mean, people in movies and, and TV shows, you see them wearing T shirts with with the, the the album cover on it. I mean, what what do you think when you see things like that all the time?
1: Oh, it's it's great. Uh, somewhere on my computer, I I have a clip from The Simpsons where Homer <laughs> is in a record store. And I froze it and and um, took a picture of it. But there's a um, the album rack is behind him as he's talking with to the store owner. And there's the albums there. And there's a a Styx album, a uh, Grand Illusion, and uh, Point of no Return in the album bin there. And it's just very cool. Uh, that that's that '70s show. Donna is wearing the yellow pointed no return shirt and there's a lot of fans will point these things out have you seen this yet well by now yes i've seen it 500 times but (laughs) it's it's very cool
0: absolutely absolutely and someone that you've mentioned that we haven't really talked about much in the interview here phil i mean you've been together 50 years It's it's a long journey some of your friendship with phil and the secret behind your longevity together
1: well we've been together 50 years in this band yes yes We started in 1967
0: playing together.
1: Wow. Our junior year in high school, the first band I was ever in was with Phil. You know, high school and then into the different bar band type situations. We played together sometimes, alternative bands. Those bands would last about two months and somebody would leave and somebody join and then four people would leave. And all of a sudden you're – it was – those bands – are probably still to this day, it's always in flux. In 1969, I joined a band that Phil was in. It was called, called White Clover. And uh, we spent uh, the last part of 1969 and early 1970 for six months. We lived down in uh, New Orleans, and we played in the French Quarter. And that was quite an experience. And at, at the end of that, I came home, and that was hard. Uh, It was fun, but wow. I I went back to college. (laughs) I said, I'm not really sure if I can cut out for that. Uh, But uh, after a semester of school, I hated it. I wasn't made for school. And Phil had gone to England to try to get something going. Um, Because nothing was really happening for him in Topeka, Kansas. And he called. One day, I said, let's get White Clover back together. And I said, great. (laughs) I don't want to be in school. (laughs) And so, yeah, that's where we got Dave Hope and Steve Walsh, who I had never played with before, but Phil had played with previously. And we knew of a violin player. We didn't know him, but knew of him in Lawrence, Kansas, named Robbie Steinhardt. And we thought the band he was in had broken up. It'd be great to add a violinist for some, you know, something different. And that was how that version of White Clover had come together. Um, and we've been together ever since.
0: Incredible. Incredible stuff. Now, um, just a last couple of questions. And I saw um, an interview you did a couple of years ago where you said your favorite guitarist was, was Jeff Beck. And we sadly lost him recently as well, didn't we? I mean, in your eyes then, why was he so special?
1: You can't count how many thousands of unbelievable guitar players that are out there. Um, but Jeff Beck, he had such a unique lyrical, it was like a conversation. Um, yeah, You could pick him out of, give him a melody line and have him and a thousand other p- guitar players play it. And there's Jeff. I mean, you could pick him out every time. Um, The things he could do – I've never been a Strat player. I just – I pick one up. I can't – I just can't make him sound good. He was the king of a Strat. And the things he did with his right hand are just mind-blowing of his technique. And to watch it, it doesn't look like he's hardly doing anything. It's like your favorite voice. Singing to you, you know, when he played, there was so many ups and downs and little nuances and every, little wiggles and things around it. Then uh, the, the crazy things would pop out and it would it would be familiar, but different every time. Um, just like a. A jazz great or something that uh, had so many chops and could play around something in so many different ways truly playing for the moment not repeating but just it was so heartfelt every time I go back and listen to Jeff Beck it reaffirms that he is in my opinion the best guitar player that's ever lived I just watched an interview with him yesterday that was him talking about Ronnie Scott's doing the, those shows, and it was so strange because he's soft-spoken, and he was so terrified of do, of playing that and how he's going to be received and all that and nervous and all that. And I think Jeff Beck is nervous because because I'm thought I'm nervous before every show, but this is Jeff Beck. <laughs> he can't be nervous, but he was always. You know, he had the, the same human doubts as anybody, but he would step out on stage and perform miracles.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely. <clears throat> and did you get to meet him at any point? Did you, did you ever get the chance to spend time with
1: him? No, I never did. Uh, oh. I would have been probably speechless and in awe and just been a mouth open, staring stump. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, he was, it just seemed to be such an easygoing, quiet gentleman that he yeah. would pr- probably, my de- defense mechanisms would have relaxed quickly. Yeah,
0: lovely. Well, those answers are perfect for me. Thank you so much for spending your last half an hour or so with me with today, Rich. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Oh, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it.
0: And a huge thanks to Rich for joining me there. Check out kansasband.com for all the information on that huge tour that they've got lined up and, of course, get all the latest news and releases too. Right then, it's the time of the show for this week's Top 5, and of course it's going to be my favourite five songs from Kansas. Remember, these are my personal favourites. I don't expect you to fully agree. In fact, I'd love to hear how you disagree. Message me on the socials or email vintagerockpod at gmail.com. So let's see what you make of these then this week. My favourite five songs from the band, Kansas. At five is an epic one from their second album of the same name. It's a 10 minute masterpiece that has it all from the incredible instrumental sections to the vocals of Steve Walsh. And number five is Song for America. At number four is another title track from their 1977 record of the same name. This single opens the record and went top 30 on release in the US. It distills their prog and rock charm into a punchy three minutes with another top vocal performance. At four is Point of No Return. At number three is one of their 80s catalogue from the album Vinyl Confessions. This song has a big chorus and charted at 17 on the Billboard Hot 100. At number three is Play the Game Tonight. number two is a track from their big left overture album the second single released from that record it's a big rockier number which is why i love it it's punchy and it's big and number two is what's on my mind And at number one, it can only be one song for me. Right from the opening seconds, it grabs you, hooks you, and never lets up. The song that really put the band on the map and remains one of the most played songs on classic rock radio today. From Left Overture, my favourite song from Kansas is, of course, Carry On, Wayward Son. So there you go, my top five songs from Kansas. Maybe some surprise at no place for dust in the wind, but I do love a harder, rockier sound. As always, though, I'd love to hear what you think. What's your favourite track of theirs? Message me on the social media platforms or email me, vintagerockpod at gmail.com and I'll give you a mention on next week's show. And remember to keep checking the Vintage Rock Pod social media channels for full album February. See what record we're listening to each day. Join in, leave your comments. Everyone is welcome. We're going to unearth some brilliant classic records along the way. Check out facebook twitter instagram for all that kind of thing well that's it for me then and this week's big interview show thanks again for listening make sure you subscribe to vintage rock pod on your podcast app so that you get all the episodes on there they are released every single day so the only place you can get it is on the vintage rock pod feed i'll be back tomorrow with another this day rocks so until then
2: take care